Hey everybody, so before we jump into today's podcast, I just wanted to A, thank you guys, give you a little bit of a reminder. If you enjoy this content, however you're watching it, consuming it, please like, follow, subscribe, whatever you gotta do, comment on it. If you can, leave us a review. It really helps us out and it can help grow our platform and reach more people. And if you know someone that can benefit from this, please share it with them. If you have a question, if you wanna reach out to us, let us know. And then lastly, we have all of our amazing programs, courses, and coaching available in the resources below. So check that out. Definitely take advantage of it. We have everything from free options all the way up to paid programs and everything in between to fit pretty much anyone's budget. And it's just a matter of how customized it's going to be based on the price point. So there's really something for everybody. Thank you guys. Let's get on into the episode. Yeah, fighters. What's going on, everybody? Mike here, episode 112 of the Life of a Fighter podcast. And I'm really excited about today's because we're specifically going over weight cutting. And um, there was a book that Dr. Tony Ricci and Phil DeRue put out that is called Weight Cut Systematic Strategies. And before I even had an opportunity to reach out to them, I wanted to buy it first, kind of read it, go through it, break it down. And I was able to do that, and I thought it would be really cool to have them come on, talk about it, highlight some of the things I thought were really helpful, and some things that I think everyone should take away. Obviously, I think the entire thing, the entire book, um, has helpful formulas, strategies, systematic approaches, how to go through a weight cut, what, what to do even when you're out of season, what to do when you're in season, the variations of training, the variations of nutrition calorie um, nutrition and caloric calculations. Also, just looking at where your weight should be. That's a big question that I think is pretty general, but also has a very precise and simple answer. So we go into, you know, what percentage of weight you would like to be within as far as if you're fighting at your whatever given weight class, 155 pounds, for example, you want to be a percentage of that weight within your walk around weight. So for example, if I'm 200 pounds, and I want to fight at 155, that's going to be too heavy. Let's take, for example, I'm going to be 10%. So 10% of 155 is 15.5 pounds. If you add that to the actual uh, weight class, that's 170.5 pounds or 171.5 pounds, depending on if you're going for a title or not. So that means that you should be walking around at no heavier than 170 pounds, especially walking into fight camp. Throughout fight camp, you should be able to cut that amount of weight relatively easy. Some fighters obviously don't do it that way. This is just kind of like a guideline, and and we go over that even more in the podcast. And again, I'm not even going to go into both Dr. Ricci's and Mr. DeRue's credentials. You can see them below with their names, all their social media information, websites, all the fun stuff they have to plug, which is awesome. I highly recommend you follow them on social media and follow what they're doing. Um, Tony Ricci has Fight Science Institute that he's also putting together and and partnering up with a whole bunch of great professionals and they've already actually created but it's just still in the phases where they're putting it together and I'm excited for them to launch on a global scale so be sure to follow that and without further ado let's jump right into the podcast your sponsors and everything you can check them below I don't even want to waste valuable time right now because I want to jump right in we have I think it was a quick 17 to 20 minutes of them talking, and I wanted to make sure we get all that stuff in. Hope you guys enjoy. Let's jump right into the podcast. Yeah, fighters. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for taking the time to join us on the Life of a Fighter podcast. We have Mr. Phil DeRue. Thank you, Phil, and Dr. Tony Ricci. Again, thank you both, gentlemen. I appreciate the time. I know we got all schedules, tight time, so we're going to jump right into the fun. And the reason we have both of you on is, like I was saying in the intro, we have uh, weight cut. Systematic Strategies is the ebook. It's available, like we said, on the website. So I, I kind of want to dive right into why did why did you guys uh, 
create this book in the first place? What was some of that call that you guys felt you wanted to kind of answer? Uh, I'll start it and then let Phil it in. But I, I think that, you know, Phil and I have a great love um, for the sport. I, I think that's first. And so what we really wanted to do, Michael, is just try to set a system that, that would help these athletes have a better, uh, you know, a, a possibility of making the weight and doing so successfully. And as strength coaches, what, what Phil and I really, I think, collaborated on and, and what hurt us the most or bothered us the most, if you will, is we put in 10, 12-week camps sometimes and work really hard with these guys and these women, and things go really well. Skill acquisition during camp is wonderful. If you watch Phil's videos, you can see people are really enhancing their performance. And then, you know, poor weight cut really bad weight cut week and terrible rehydration protocols can take all of that work and, and pretty much render it uh, useless, if you will. It, it, it's that extreme. So what Phil and I wanted to do is try to share some strategies with coaches on how to optimize the cut so that not only the fighter can make the weight, but all of the performance aspects that you enhance during camp can be preserved. That, that's where I wanted to go with it. Yeah, I mean, Tony hit it right on the head. We just, uh, we've had some bad experiences working with uh, a lot of these fighters. I've worked with over, you know, 100 some odd fighters, and I can honestly say a lot of these guys and girls do not know exactly what to do when it comes down to just, you know, structured weight cutting. Um, a lot of them are doing it wrong. A lot of them are, you know, uh, are killing their body, killing their performance the next day. So our whole thing was to make sure that we were being able to write down you know, a, a systematic strategy and uh, make sure that they understand exactly what to do and when to do it and so that we can enhance the abilities to have better performances and then also we can help the, you know, the entire sport in general right. and to keep guys and girls safe. That, that was the main thing. And I think those are both uh, amazing targets and goals and, and really guys have been able to hit it out of the park. And, again, I've actually gone through it already, but I, I'll be honest, this is – something I'm going to continuously go back through and, and even look at some of the formulas that, that were listed in there, the, the scheduling aspect of it. And it kind of, you kind of answered my next question, but I'll, I'll just kind of put it out there to see if we want to expand upon it a little bit. Who this is for? Obviously, it's for the fighters, but I, I also saw just from looking at it, obviously, this could be a great tool for coaches as well. So did you kind of have coaches more in mind when you were trying to put this information out there with a little bit of both or just kind of covering the whole entire industry here? Um, I think I think definitely Phil and I wanted to target it toward the coach. I think our approach, Michael, was as follows: that you know, first we we, we certainly have a, a an appreciation for fellow strength coaches, and what we've learned is even if the strength coach is not, for example, running the weight cut, it's a wonderful thing if they have a you know great existing knowledge as to what's going on, how the cut should be performed, what are the strategies behind it. And maybe they could even make recommendations to whomever is doing the cut. So certainly strength performance coaches, young aspiring coaches, skill coaches were some people that we wanted to certainly get involved. And um, additionally, uh, you know, fighters are, are wanted to review it. And some of them, uh, some fighters have contacted me as a result and, and purchased it and found it helpful. But I think the primary thing we wanted to do is open up an introduction, a way to think about weight cuts, a 30,000-foot view, if you will, for young coaches. So I think that was primarily our target, both strength, skill, nutritionists, anybody who has a love and passion for the sport. Yeah, um, I'm seeing a lot of other fighters, 
you know, same thing, contact me as well, saying that they read the book, they love the book, they're they're following the protocols and things like that. And I think that nowadays fighters are actually getting more educated on their own, you know, their own whole entire career as far as from just when it comes down to strength and conditioning to the diet to the nutrition approach. You know, um, I train a guy by the name of Dustin Poirier who is just as much, he asks questions on a daily basis. It's not so much of like just tell me what to do and go do it. So, yeah, I, mean, I am seeing more fighters actually get involved and want to actually learn. But this was actually also, you know, developed for coaches to help the fighters that they that they actually coach. But, like I said, the, the fighters are getting more educated. They're wanting to learn more, wanting to learn more about improving their performance. And uh, it's for both of them. Both sides can definitely benefit. Yeah, yeah. anybody who can benefit from it, we're happy. I don't care if it's a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I think... There's, there really actually is some great information there, even, again, with the formulas and even some of the systematic approaches that you could take away, not just for MMA, but obviously there was a, a key market here, a key demographic we're going after, and, and we obviously hit it with the information. And that kind of leads me into a question of, and Phil, you actually posted about, not this specifically, but in-camp versus out-of-camp, you had a video of uh, Jorge Masvidal, I believe, and you're looking at some out-of-camp movements and, and some of the approaches there. And that's something that you mentioned also in the book is, in camp versus out of camp, and again, when you're talking about educating the fighter and even just the coaches, the skill coaches, and saying, okay, not only do we have to be able to develop all these different skills, especially for the mixed martial arts athlete, it's not just a striking, it's not just a grappling art, it's, you've got to combine multitude of different aspects. Uh, talk a little bit about not only your own experience, but just really what's the, the kind of goal of when you're going in camp versus out of camp. You don't have to have to go into too much detail. I don't want to give away too much there. And it is in the book, and that's something I think is very helpful there. But maybe just give us a little bit on that. Well, as far as the strength and conditioning side goes, you know, um, getting going into camp, the main goal was to actually make sure that they are physically capable of doing the skills practice at hand. A lot of the times these guys are coming in to camp, not in shape or just coming off the couch, so what I'm trying to do on an out-of-camp program is make sure that they have solid work capacity, an aerobic base, and a strength base that they can carry over into their camp because at the end of the day, I don't want my guys coming into camp, um, going through my physical preparations, and then being sore and tired from just the strength and conditioning and not being able to do their skills practice. So our main goal right then from eight weeks out is where we usually start our camps. We're looking to enhance the strength endurance phase. We're trying to make sure that we're getting good joint integrity, making sure that their mobilization, their movement quality is at hand. I'm introducing some low-level plyometrics, as you can see in my video with uh, with Georgie, and uh, and just getting them physically capable of doing work, you know, not just from a physical preparation standpoint, but also from their skills practice. My goal as a physical preparation specialist or as a strength coach, whatever you want to call it, is to make sure that these guys are physically capable of doing the tactical and technical training on a constant daily basis. And that's because that's what they're going to be primarily doing once they get deeper into camp. Our our whole system, you know, once we start from, from, um, from out of camp, we are the main priority. Once we get into camp, we become lesser down on the priority list. So, the whole thing is to make sure that we are progressing them slowly and also managing fatigue by proper periodization protocols and all the regulation techniques. So that's that's the main thing. I know I probably that was a long-winded answer, but I hope that makes sense. Complete 100%. sense. 100%. And I guess to follow up on that, too, is that we have from one standpoint the training side of it, and then we obviously want to look at the nutrition side, and this is a common theme, obviously. It's 
the, the, the feeding the body, fueling your body for your workouts. And I still think that there's a big misconception of fighters, especially when they have to make weight, being afraid. There's maybe two extremes. There's either afraid to eat altogether or they're still kind of not fully understanding how to build a proper uh, nutrition protocol and, again, have a proper balance of carbs and protein. Don't be afraid to eat to recover and be able to perform is ultimately, I guess, what I'm trying to get at with that. Yeah, that's emphasized. And so what we try to do is in the book, too, give an explanation to your point, Michael, of why you can eat, okay? Um, First of all, it's absolutely necessary. Look, there's no recovery without food, right, other than oxygen. Everything you need comes from what you eat. You, You can't rub broccoli on your face and get the phytonutrients from it, right? So food is vital. This is not just about, okay, making a weight. This is about optimal performance. So what we need to do, and and Phil and I articulate this in the book, that's why, again, there are numbers in it. How many calories? What's the potential macronutrient breakdown? And they're estimates. They are a guideline. But it is better to have a guideline that may be slightly off than, than guess and assume you're right. So the whole goal is we, we offer ways to calculate approximately how many calories the athlete should need in order to get through camp before camp as they lose weight because they have to make adjustments. And then we break down in the book, okay, out of that hypothetical 2,800 calories at camp start, here's what it should look like. Here's how many fruits and vegetables need to go in. Here are the grams of protein that need to be, that take precedent because protein, obviously, you don't store protein, right? We store fat. We store carbs. We don't store protein. So our diet's center around protein. Then we build in the carbs and we build in the fats. So what we try to do in this book is give the fighter the maximum amount of food they can get and still burn fat, not lose muscle, burn fat. That is vital because their their metabolic turnover is huge. They're training three times a day. And you can, we say this in the book, Phil and I, you can, you don't have to sleep and you don't have to eat well, all right? And you can still push through it. But we're not here to tempt performance. We're here to optimize it. And that's what food does, really does. And we explain that in the book. 100%. That kind of leads me into my next – oh, sorry. Go for it. No, well, I was just going to say, I think that that leads into, like, you know, exactly the specific demands of of the training stimulus at that point in time. You have to understand what macronutrients and micronutrients are doing pre- and post-workout to make sure that we're we're optimizing performance, but also, you know, we're managing that recovery process, which is the main key. But, uh, but yeah, Tony, Tony hit it right on the head, man. And that's exactly what we're trying to accomplish here with this book. And then that, that leads me to, again, looking at, we mentioned some, some numbers and some data. And, and again, you also go into this into the book, data acquisition and putting the value in that. But also, again, like you said, whether it's your caloric intake, whether it's your training schedule, you can write up the perfect 12-week protocol, right, and, and then all of a sudden an injury happens and you have to be able to adapt to the situation. Or just like you think, if we have a fighter that's coming in a, a certain percentage, and that's something you discussed in the book as well, percentage over your fight weight, how far you should be able to go. So that's why I really recommend it to the coaches and the fighters as well because it'll give you not just those guidelines but very specific parameters for those guidelines of, hey, we don't want to be over a certain percentage of weight even out of camp, it has to be a year-round procedure. So I guess the way I wanted to kind of shape that into a question is, with the data, how much value will you put in the data, and then how much room do you give yourself the flexibility to kind of go off and say, hey, we do need to make a change, and I'm not going to just stick to the plan just because I wrote it out two weeks ago, and it was awesome, and it took me a bunch of time, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, just I would say this is – okay, so very good. I think the data is valuable, if you will. And when you say data, Michael, we're talking – um, 
in reference to obtaining body fat, lean mass, total body water, yes. And those variables are vital because they help you predict how you're going to get to this scale. So people always say to me, well, I got 12 weeks, I got to be 185 and they're 212. And I always ask them, well, how the hell are you going to get there? They have no idea. They're just pulling stuff off the body. So the data is there to help project how much fat we could potentially lose and still perform optimally, how much muscle that could be lost in that process, but we're trying to preserve, what is their total body water so we know how much they can leak to pull water, how much water they can release and still put back in their body and and perform, uh, perform optimally. So that's another variable. But to your point, we make adjustments accordingly. So nothing is in stone, right? It, it, it's like a football game. You've got to adjust to the offense or the defense. If, if Phil and I have a fighter on a protocol and it's 10 weeks out and they come to us by the end of week one in camp and they're down seven pounds, well, you can bet we're going to uh, add some fat, carbs, and protein to that. So in the book, we emphasize here's where you start, adjust, adjust, monitor, monitor. How much water did they lose? How much did they put back? How much did they eat? How much did they burn? What's their body fat? Stay on top of them so that you know where they are at all given times and you know to make adjustments accordingly. Take some food away or add some back. That's one example. Yeah, and I also thought what was great, too, is that you also give direction in the book as to, hey, here's an example of if we see, just like you said, if there's too much weight loss, here's an idea of how we can make those adjustments with a certain amount of calories either going up and down in a certain period of time. So that's why I think there's a lot of value where it's not just, okay, I kind of have some guidelines and then you still may need a coach. And obviously, I'm not going to recommend that everyone's going to cut weight off of this book without a coach, but I even would feel confident and I'm curious to see what both of you feel where I would even say, hey, you know what, this is better than what a lot of even coaches are currently doing. This is no disrespect to, you know, the industry, but it just, I feel like there's a lot of either misinformation or just not the proper guidelines going about it. Yeah. I'll say briefly and then let Phil take it over. We just, what we want to do is we want to facilitate thought, right? Um, sometimes, sometimes science application and practice is about the right questions, not the right answers. Answers are a moving target. Just, that's why you have to adapt. Here's how many calories we need to change. So what we try to do in the book, Michael, is provide the right questions to help someone navigate their fighter through. What should I ask? What could go wrong? What can go right? What should we do here? And that's, I think, what Phil and I provide in the book so that somebody can develop their own strategy. That's the goal. We're not saying what we put in here is infallible or, you know, the Ten Commandments. It's a method of helping people navigate their own way through. Yeah, there's nothing really set in stone. It's, it's really just principles that you can follow, you know, and, and you should have systems in place. But like he said, and like, like, like Tony's always, you know, preached before, is that we have to make sure that we're able and ready to, you know, call an audible. It's like in a football game, right? So right. everything is automated. Everything can be changed, but it also depends upon if you follow the system in the right ways because it obviously will know if you're going the wrong way in the wrong path. That's right. Um, Things won't work out the way it should be, and if you're not if you're not taking in the right amount of carbs, the right amount of you know protein, sodium even, um, you know, in, in even post workout, intra workout sugars or whatever we might have in there, if you're not taking that, you're not recovering. We know that you're not doing the proper protocols, so then we can't even auto regulate because you're not following the specific systems. If you follow the systems, then we can make sure that we can call an audible when needed. Yeah. So and this is I. I Again, I know we, we have a certain window we're working in, so I have one more question for you guys, and I want to let you both go because 
I appreciate you taking the time again. And, and my question I want to finish with is something that constantly comes up, and I'm sure we've, you guys have all talked about it before. I've even heard you talk about it on other shows, but I just wanted to bring it up for our audience. Uh, the idea of running, especially in, from the boxing world, transitioning into the other combat sports, what are some perspectives from both of you on where cardio, but specifically running, lies in it, and then also the endurance aspect of it, miles versus we're doing interval sprints or short bursts of energy and, and how that kind of can impact maybe out of camp, in camp, so on and so forth? So uh, for me, you know, this is a mixed aerobic system, mixed aerobic system sport. So we're going to have to make sure that we're training all bioenergetic demands to make sure we're maintaining optimal performance. But everything has to come into play at certain times. So for me, I make sure that my guys have a solid aerobic base out of camp so that they can actually carry over into an anaerobic conditioning sequence when we get closer into camp. Now, remember, it depends on what you're doing in the weight room. It also depends on fiber type. It's very subjective to the individual. If I have an individual yeah. like a guy named, you know, Tyron Woodley, who's primarily fast switch, he could probably play, you know, in the NFL if he wanted to. That mm-hmm. guy's going to probably need a little bit more aerobic capacity, a little bit more, more, you know, slow twitch. So we might have to actually transfer over some. So he may have to do some more long-distance running, not to fully take over and to, you know, uh, totally transfer over his power, but just to throw it in there so he can make sure that we're balancing out the bioenergetic demands needed for the sport itself. If I have a guy that's primarily more aerobic in, in nature and, and comes from, like let's say, like a Nate or Nick Diaz, then maybe we can throw in some explosive power movements just so we can balance out, you know, the performance aspects of it. Also, once we get into camp, we're going into more high-intensity training. So there's going to be more lifts that require, you know, more intensity, less duration. So for me, I don't want – and I only have a limited time to train my guys because they have all their other skills work that they have to do. So for me, instead of throwing the organism in two different directions and not being able to get a stimulus adaptation for the strength, I want to make sure that I'm managing the time that they're lifting the weight. So let's say if they're doing a max effort lift, it's usually going to you know, be around no more than six to ten seconds. So for me, for the aerobic work, I'm going to match that same, uh, that same number and time in their aerobic work. So they'll be doing anaerobic, more high-intensity interval-type style training. One, we'll get that anaerobic conditioning aspect, and we're also making sure that we're maintaining that stimulus adaptation for the, for the strength, you know, for the strength adaptations there. So, like I said, if I'm going to be doing high amounts of volume with, you know, let's say, let's say hypertrophy work, I then can go ahead maybe four hours later and have them go run long distance. That's going to be primarily out of camp when we're trying to build up that solid aerobic base. That way we can get their lactic threshold higher, make sure the VO2 is, is on point, and then from there it can transfer over or potentiate into a camp where we're going to be working more higher intensities and lesser volume, lesser frequency, because they're going to be doing more of their skills work. Remember, the the um, the, the importance here when we get closer into camp is going to be more about skills and tactical and technical training. So that's why I'm trying to I'm trying to maximize my time efficiency by doing those high intensity intervals along with my high intensity strength training movements or exercises, whatever have you. Hope that you, can't, you can't add anything to that. That is beautifully stated. That's a seminar right there, ladies and gentlemen. You just got one. You got some good stuff. I'll just the only thing I can add to it is this, because and Phil is right on about. It. I love the where he's looking at just the individual biomotor abilities where somebody excels and actually considering that maybe 
the camp could be slightly adapted to their weaknesses or strengths. That is beautiful. And here's the other thing just to consider as a fighter ages, they probably can't do the road work anymore. Um, it, it, it's really, there's so many variables. Technically, when they're really out of shape, they need it, but they shouldn't be doing it because they're too heavy. And as they age, you know, if you've got a 33-year-old fighter who's been in the UFC for 10 years, probably going to have to stay off the road work. But I just, I just, ladies and gentlemen, with Phil, this is why I think he's truly one of the best in the game. Just showed you all the variables to consider. And the fact that I love what he's saying is that a Tyrone Woodley can potentially be trained different for a performance product, uh, program than a DS. And, and those are things we need to consider in the future. So that was really cool. Yeah, and I think... And I like one more thing I want to add to that because Tony's the man. Please. Like I said, I follow this guy 100%, and I do agree. If the guys are like heavyweights, I'm not going to have my heavyweights go do LSD That's work. Right. And run. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not going to have, you know, can I curse on here? Cause I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Little, yeah, yeah, you're fine. You're fine. Get answered. I'm not going to have a fucking 270-pound guy go run. It's not going to happen. So what I do like to do is I'll do, you know, um, I do a sequence where I'll go, we'll do five-minute intervals with 50% of their one rep max, and we'll go contrast. So maybe it'll be like a trap nice. one deadlift mixed in with a uh, with, with a floor press, something like that. Um, they'll do that for five minutes straight. This way they're getting an aerobic capacity, but we're also lifting weights. So we're actually making, making strength endurance gains along with the aerobic capacity under light loads. But the technical efficiency becomes better because now they're lifting the weight Every you know, and it's there's no technical breakdown because it's only 50 percent and it's only yeah. one rep, yeah. so one rep, one way through. Also, drop sets, right? Those are very good. We can have them run with yeah. the with a, uh, or we can have them march with the prowler or sled drags or or um, what I do with farmers walks and I do the for distance. This way, you're still getting aerobic capacity and you're getting some strength endurance alongside that. For my bigger guys, for my older guys, obviously I'm not going to have King Mola Wall go run 10 miles. That's just not happening. <laughs> so just to, just to clarify that, and I, and, I, and I thank you again, Tony, for always keeping me on my toes, brother. Oh, you are you kidding me, buddy? Yeah, you're on, you're on him. I assure you. Yeah, and, and that's the biggest thing I, I kind of want to just emphasize that. I, and also, I appreciate just both the, the knowledge and the experience that's coming. I don't even think you guys – Hope I did a good job in the introduction of listing all of this fun stuff so you guys understand the credentials and where they're coming from. But ultimately, it just seems like injury management, too, is what, what it is kind of radiating from this part of it is making sure that the fighter, because, again, it's all great if we have all these programs, but if they can't show up fight they do to an injury, it's all for nothing. Again, that's another factor to it. And listen, they get enough injury risk in the that's actual sport yep. itself, in the actual training. So it, it seems like also the choice of movements the workload and the time at which they're working under is all put together in a way that's not only optimal for performance, but also reducing an injury rate, which really is what, what I like. And that's obviously all of it's great, but I, I think that's something that I think a lot of fighters look past and that's where the coaches such as both of yourselves are really able to stress it. But again, that's, I wanted to finish with this. There's so many questions I have, and I know that our audience is going to have so many more, but I just wanted to uh, say I appreciate uh, both of you for taking the time. I look up to both of you as far as coaches go and just appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, everybody, get weight cut systematic strategies. Follow them on the social media. Again, you can check the links below, the website, all that good stuff. And any, I'll leave the platform to you, gentlemen, before we end it. Oh, well, thanks to you, Michael. Just quickly, I, I can't appreciate I really appreciate it. You've always been a good friend, and I've always enjoyed your time. And, um, you know, it was great to collaborate with Phil. 
on this. Phil is a talented young man, and by my standards, yes, he's young. He may not think he is, but uh, like I said, I'm a general manager as I age here, and he's my number one draft choice. He got a talented guy, so please follow him, everyone. This this guy takes it and does it right. And same thing, Michael. I want to thank you for having us on. You know, um, you know, same thing with with Tony. I, I feel he's uh, like a mentor to me. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it's always an honor to actually collaborate with any you know endeavor that we that we may have uh, got going on, especially with the Fight Sciences. Too very very uh, very excited about that. I think that's going to change the game. It's something that's not. I don't think it's been out yet and has you know hasn't hasn't been matched or or been done. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited and, uh, you know, look to the future. So we'll see what happens next, right? That's it. Thank you, gentlemen. And that's something that, honestly, we could do another podcast for you and something just on the Fire Times Institute. Let's and, do it. Talk about that because that in and of itself is just something that I think adds so much value, not just to the fight world, but honestly to athletics in general and to the health community because the way that you approach it, both of you, the way you approach your careers and your, your professions is something I think we can all learn from. So, again, I appreciate it. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. So, I just wanted to say thank you guys again for watching, listening, consuming that episode. If you guys enjoyed it and you haven't already, please like, uh, please comment. If you haven't reviewed, please leave a review. If you haven't followed or subscribed, please do that as well. Again, it tremendously helps us out. And then just a quick reminder, if you guys want more resources, we have them below. We have our programs, everything from free all the way up to paid and kind of everything in between. Dial in with the customization and we have more information on different programs and resources in our newsletter. So if you haven't signed up for that, do so below. It's free and that is it y'all. See you on the next one.